Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. everyone, welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Nina Pantic, joined in this episode by co-host Irina Falcone. Hey guys, how's it going? Our special guest this episode is USTA coach Andy Gerst. Andy, welcome. Thank you guys. Thanks for having me. Let's start off with our favorite question these days. How is your quarantine life going and where are you and what, what are you up to? Yeah, quarantine is, is interesting. It's kind of become the new normal. Um, I'm hunkered down out here in Los Angeles where I was born and raised. Uh, my fiance is uh, finishing up her second year of law school right now. So um, I'm out here with her and definitely enjoying the extra time because my job certainly has me on the road a lot more often uh, than right now. So enjoying the extra time with her. And uh, it's been a, it's definitely been a strange couple months. Uh, I'm enjoying the extra time to certainly kind of work on my craft and uh, take the time to learn new things that I wouldn't normally have time to do uh, otherwise on a more normal situation. But I, I certainly miss being out there on the court because that's what I love most. And, uh, and, uh, and just trying to help the players get through this time as well. How are you improving your craft? No, it's been, it's been fun. I've been able, most recently, I've been able to dive a lot more into data and analytics, which has been a lot of fun, um, doing some kind of manual tagging of matches and then being able to go back and look at certain data points. And I'm trying to figure out for myself what, what are kind of the key data points that I'm going to look at in a match that might reflect on the player that I'm working with. Um, that's been fun, working a lot with our video software and learning my way around that. So that's been very cool. Um, doing a bunch of different webinars and, and talks and just trying to learn as much as I can reading books, thanks to Irina's recommendations. Um, so yeah, just trying to read and, and learn as much as I can. I can attest to two things. One of them being the analytics thing, because just recently we were doing a call with Andy and one of them was like, all right, I want to know how many times you're returning to the forehand and you win the point or you know, how many times you're serving and you get a backhand, like first ball. And like, it's just one of those things where you don't really think about that you should know the analytics to, uh, but actually seeing it in video and, you know, honestly, it was, it was a very nerding out kind of moment. And when he was telling me all these things, I was just like, wow, you were geeking out so hard, but really cool. Thank <laughs> you for this information. And um, yes, Nina, you'll actually appreciate this. I told Andy about Shantaram, which I know you told me about. And uh, he just started and he told me, he's like, the book is crazy. The guy is crazy, but I'm excited. <laughs> it's a long book. You have a long journey ahead of you. Awesome book. Yeah, no. And, and I think that's stuff that's maybe more important for me to know. That might be too much information for you or for a player to know, because I don't know uh, if you need to be thinking about all that stuff, but it's certainly a great coaching tool for me to look at and reflect, but I know how much you love to break down the game and everything. So that's why I might share a little bit more with you than, uh, than normal, but it was certainly a fun nerding out experience for sure. I want to establish for everyone first, before we get too deep into this, your guys' relationship. So Andy, you're USTA coach and you've been working with Irina um, based out of Nona. What's your guys' relationship? When did you guys start working together? Um, describe it for us. So everyone, everyone's on the same page. 
Yeah, so uh, just to kind of backtrack one more small step. So I took this role uh, kind of as, uh, we call it our head of Team USA. It was Kathy Rinaldi's role prior to mine. And uh, it's, it's mostly to manage the relationships with all of our players that are kind of like right on the brink of breaking into the top 100. And so a really cool position, really unique position. And I feel very fortunate to be able to do it. Um, I feel extra fortunate because I get to take a couple of players under my wing a little bit more full time. And Irina has... Uh, has been one of them. So uh, on the one hand, I feel sorry for her that she's not with one of our more qualified coaches that uh, might, <laughs> but uh, no, it's been an absolute pleasure working with her. And, and she's certainly been someone that, uh, that I've respected for a long time from a distance uh, being on the tour, working privately for the past couple of years. So it's been a real privilege working with her and we've been working together for probably about six months now. Um, it's been a crazy six months, <laughs> a lot, a lot's happened. Um, but yeah, we kind of started together right before the preseason and uh, got to spend a great preseason together and like Nona and got to know each other and got the year started together. And uh, it's, it's been a real treat. I know I'm certainly learning a lot and I hope, uh, I hope she's learning a little bit from me too. I have definitely learned a lot. No, she's, uh, you know, I had the opportunity. I worked for a couple of years privately with Danielle Lau. And uh, I know we both uh, together, we, we really respected you from a distance and just how you went about your business and, and also your mind for the game. I mean, you're an incredible competitor and a tactician out there. So, um, so it's, it's fun getting to pick your brain and try to see what you see out there. And so I hope we can get back to more normal times soon so we can kind of keep going on this journey because I like the momentum we were building. You guys don't have a very big age gap either. Only, I think, uh, about two, three years, maybe? Yeah, yeah. I just Closer turned now, 30, listen. so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I was going with that. Um, I want to backtrack even more, Andy, to get really into your tennis story. When you were first picked up tennis, how old were you? How did you get into it? And what was your initial goal? Because I don't know if USTA coach is someone's career path when they're young, right? Yeah, I picked up the sport really, really young. I was a sports nerd from the time I could basically walk and talk. I was watching SportsCenter and, uh, and, and baseball and basketball and tennis on TV instead of cartoons when I was like two or three years old. So I, I was three years old and my parents wanted to get me into a sport and I was basically too young for everything else. So uh, they took me to the local tennis club, which just so happened to be right next to my dad's office at the time. And the rest is the rest is history. I picked up the racket and started hitting balls and uh, I've been playing ever since and just always had a always had a love for the game. Um, I, I was always really self-motivated and just wanted to wanted to play, wanted to work at it and um, just, you know, love to nerd out on it then and still do. So um, and I think my uh, my goal was uh, probably to do what kind of what Irina's doing now, you know, is, uh, is be a professional and be playing in the Grand Slams and um, competing with the best in the world. Um, but life didn't go that route. Um, I, I got to play a little bit professionally, kind of on the Futures and Challengers circuit. But then uh, quickly, I, I, as I got older, as a, you know, like in my teenage years, um, I kind of thought to myself that coaching was something that I would want to do just for, you know, with my love of the game and just how much I like to learn and be immersed in sports. And so, um, so I always, you know, kind of from that point on knew I wanted to be a coach, never thought I would be working for the USTA or anything like that. That totally uh, fell into my lap. And again, I feel super, super blessed that it did, but, um, but yeah, started, started coaching shortly after my playing career and uh, been at it ever since. During your playing career, I know that we talk about, you know, all the things that it takes to be a professional and, you know, how much work and ethic, how much work ethic it takes. Um, what 
kind of made you get to the decision that you wanted to stop playing professionally and move on to the coaching world? Yeah, I, um, I gave my, it, I, I played in college and uh, I, I, when I finished up at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, which is where I, I finished and got my degree, um, I kind of always thought I would play, but by the end of my collegiate career, I was really burnt out. And, um, and so I got, I got into coaching. I was the assistant coach for our women's team there. And, um, and, and one of the reasons why I took that job was I had the opportunity to work for uh, the guy who's basically become my biggest mentor. His name's Hugh Breen. Um, he's a tremendous coach and is now recently retired, semi-retired. He can't totally get off the court, but uh, he's no longer coaching the women's team there. Um, but we coached the team there that, that year as I was finishing up my degree and I just had an amazing time. And during that year, uh, my love for the game and love for playing came back. And, um, and I also learned a little bit. I always thought that I was fully committed to the game, but I kind of realized as I took a step back and coached and also got an opportunity to learn from Hugh how much more I had to give. Um, and that's, that was basically my goal when I set out was I said, look, I want to play. I want to really give this all that I've got and commit fully and, and be a pro and see how far I could get. Um, I knew I was going to have to work at it. I knew I wasn't, you know, I wasn't one of the top players in the nation in college. So I knew it was going to take some time and it was going to take some money to do it. Um, and so I, I set, set aside a little bit of money to go play and started kind of grinding away at the futures and challengers circuit. And, um, and I actually, I was, I was playing, I went over, I traveled to Thailand and uh, I'm giving you the long story. I apologize, but I'll come back. <laughs> I went over to Thailand on my first uh, big trip. I had saved up money from playing a summer of open tournaments and, and made some money and used that to travel over there. Uh, first tournament over there, I qualified, I picked up my first two points. And then on the way to the next tournament, my two buddies that I was traveling with and I, um, we, we rented motorbikes and went around the biggest national park in Thailand. And uh, on, at the end of that day, we ended up tipping our bikes. Uh, I got into a motorbike accident, tore, tore the ligament in my knee um, and had to ended up right after picking up my first points, I had to take uh, basically four or five months off and rehab my knee. Um, so I kind of had this whole plan of, of you know, I had saved up money and, and was going to try to use that to go play. And so there was a huge wrench kind of thrown right into that. So I went back, I, I rehabbed my knee. Um, I ran out of money at the time because I couldn't, I couldn't go play. And I was fortunate enough, uh, a, a cousin, uh, one of my dad's cousins lent me a few thousand dollars to go try to kind of get my career back up and going. And I kind of went out and competed at about 70% and, um, and, and did my best, but just didn't really have it in the tank. And kind of by the end of that summer, um, so I did, gave it a little over a year and I kind of reached this junction where I was going to have to kind of raise more money to, uh, to go out and keep playing. Um, and I knew then I was starting to kind of find it again, but it, it had been a year and, and, so I was starting to build a little bit of momentum, but I basically reached this junction where I had to try to go raise more money and take, you know, basically get a loan to me um, or get into coaching. And I kind of had a, I had a great coaching opportunity just fall into my lap. I had the opportunity to go be an assistant coach at Florida State for the men's team. Um, a buddy of mine was going to take that job and, um, and ended up having to bail at the last minute and the job totally fell into my lap. And I just kind of said, Hey, this is, this seems like the right thing to do. And, and jumped into it. So that's, uh, apologize for the long story, but that's, that's kind of how I ended up. It, it was, it just kind of, just kind of happened. So, uh, but I'm, I'm glad it did. Everything happens for a reason. Everyone's story is so different. That's one of the diff most interesting different stories I've seen just because of the motorcycle accident for sure. But we've heard a lot of stories from players and how they, how they find themselves in certain situations 
But how did, in my stalking of you, I noticed you were somehow connected with Tennis Warehouse, deeply connected. And you were a web editor and product tester for about five years. How did that play into your journey? Because that is one of the coolest sounding jobs I think I've ever heard of. <laughs> it was definitely, I always say it was a tennis nerd's dream job. Um, I loved it. So Tennis Warehouse is based out of San Luis Obispo, California, which is where I went uh, to Cal Poly. Um, and, uh, and I, and I kind of always say every little junction and twist and turn in my life has just happened by total chance and luck. And, uh, I, I feel super fortunate to be where I'm at. I went down to Florida state, um, and I was the assistant coach there and, um, and to backtrack a little bit. So that year that I was playing, um, you know, I developed a relationship with tennis warehouse during college. Cause that's where I was, you know, they, they were based out of the same town and they were pretty heavily involved in our tennis program. Um, and um, and so when I was playing, I needed some needed help and they offered to sponsor me. And in return, um, I kept a travel blog for them. And so we did some, we did a lot, I did a lot of writing for them and it was really cool. Kind of ended up being a journal for me on the road, um, did some videos and stuff like that for them. Um, and then when I decided, you know, I was done, I went to Florida state and then, uh, I was there for a year, was having a great time. Um, you know, we had an awesome team and, and I really settled into things there. And then kind of in March or April of that season, Tennis Warehouse reached out to me. This position had opened up. The guy that was in it previously, I got promoted. And, um, and internally, they were kind of sitting around the office and they said, okay, we want a male player because they had a couple strong female players at the time on their playtesting team. Uh, we want a strong male player that, um, that we know can can write well. And I was just fortunate, lucky enough that my name was the first one that came to their mind. Um, and so they reached out to me and, uh, and it was always kind of my dream to end up in San Luis Obispo because to me, it's kind of heaven on earth. It's a, it's an amazing place. And, uh, anyone that hasn't been, I, I highly suggest that they go. Um, so it was an opportunity to make a career in, in a small town that it's really hard to, it's really hard to do that. So I jumped on it. Um, I, I got the opportunity to go back there and live there. And then, yeah, the job itself was pretty cool too. I got to try out tennis equipment for a living and write about it and be on camera, uh, talking about it. And it was, it was amazing. It was, it was super cool. And I, and then I would coach on the side at the end of the day, I had a couple, uh, high performance juniors that I was working with and a couple of adults that I would go teach lessons afterwards. So I kind of kept my foot in the door with, uh, with teaching that way. But um, yeah, the, the experience at Tennis Warehouse was amazing. It was a family there. I still feel very attached to them. We, we all keep in touch. Uh, they're a great company, great people. And it, it was an amazing experience. Wow. And that's the short of it, right? Yeah. Sorry <laughs> for the long story. We got time. This is it what sounds what? like. Yeah, it sounds like you've been on a podcast, possibly hosted one before. <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Hi, everyone. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast with special guest Andy Gerst. He's sharing how he became a USTA coach. Keep listening. That's, I mean, that's an incredible journey thus far. This is all, these are great questions too, Nina, because this is all new stuff that I'm, I, I kind of knew a little bit, but the motorbike accident still is just blowing me away a little bit. <laughs> but, um, you know, continuing on to that, you know, you're coaching high performance players and you're with Tennis Warehouse 
I know that you were working with Bethany Maddox Sands. I mean, number one doubles player in the world. How did you get that? Like, how did you get in there? Was that another kind of like fell in your lap? Here you go kind of thing. Super lucky. Yeah. Super lucky, super blessed. Um, so Bethany, uh, and tennis warehouse worked out a sponsorship deal. Um, she, as you know, as everyone knows, likes to make a statement with her fashion and she didn't want to be tied down to one brand. So tennis warehouse was a great, uh, sponsorship for her cause she could pick out whatever she wanted to wear and wear it. So we sponsored her, um, and in doing so, it was kind of a little bit of an informal agreement. And one of the parts of the agreement was we would provide a hitting partner for her in Indian Wells, where Tennis Warehouse has a very big presence. And so I did that for two years. Uh, I hit with her there. The first year we did that, and uh, and then that was it. I had met her, and we had a good time, but that was, that was it. And then the second year that they did it... Um, that we that we did that uh, Justin her husband came up to me after and said hey look we're looking for someone to travel with us as a hitting partner is this something you'd be willing to do and uh, at the time I mean again I, I love my job at Tennis Warehouse but um, I was I could just tell I wanted to I was missing something and I and I missed coaching and I wanted to get back uh, maybe to doing that and so I talked to my bosses they let me work remotely for a few weeks and continue uh, working with her in Miami and Charleston right after Indian Wells. We had a great run. She run she won three rounds in Miami, including beating Svitolina on her birthday, which was pretty cool. And then went to Charleston and uh, won the doubles with Lucy. Played Lucy in the singles, which was uh, which was kind of a bummer, but um, they ended up winning the doubles. So I got to meet Lucy there as well. Um, but yeah, totally met her through Tennis Warehouse and. And then after the Charleston trip, uh, you know, Justin and Bethany came to me and they said, hey, we'd love to have you um, for the rest of the year if you'd want. Um, and so I went back to my bosses at Tennis Warehouse and the owner and talked to him about it. And, and, and my boss, uh, Chris, who's an awesome guy, you know, he, he said, you know, personally, he goes, I'm super happy for you. And I know kind of where you're at. And this sounds like an awesome opportunity. He goes, but for Tennis Warehouse we need you in the office. If this is something you want to do like a week or two here and there, that's great. But uh, we need you here. We need you a part of meetings and part of conversations and stuff like that. And so um, it was at that moment that, or it was, it was at that time that I decided that I was going to uh, start with Bethany full time uh, immediately after the 2000 and was it 16 or 17 Wimbledon where uh, she had her devastating knee injury. So that was a crazy, uh, that that was a crazy turn of events too. Ooh, that's that's an unfortunate turn there. Yeah, that was uh, that was crazy. So so my last day at Tennis Warehouse uh, was actually the day that Bethany got hurt. Um, they were throwing me a going away party, and they had it up on the TV there in the office. And I actually I was running late that day because I said, "Well, it's my last day. I'm okay." Uh, and Bethany was playing, and she um, she was in a tight second set. I think she served for the match in the second set and lost and uh, lost the second set split sets. So I said, okay, I gotta, I gotta get into work. It's nine o'clock. So I hop in my car and right as I get in my car, I get a text from the mom of, of the boy that I was working with at the time. And she goes, Oh my gosh, did you see what happened? And I said, I know she was serving for the set and she, she, she could have had it. And you know, now she's going to have to battle. And she goes, you're not watching, are you? And I said, no, I'm in the car. What's up? And she sends me a, a picture of her, of, her TV where the ambulance is out on the, out on the grass. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know? So as soon as I walk into the office, my whole office is watching the TV and I walk through the door and everyone's head just kind of like turns to me. Cause they knew that's what I was leaving and going to be working with her. 
And so my, my boss just kind of said like, well, you know, half kidding, like, Hey, you can have your job back if you want. And <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a crazy week when that all happened. Um, obviously much crazier uh, and more devastating for her, but uh, she's worked her way back, which is awesome. But uh, yeah, that was a crazy last day at the office, but I kind of just decided, Hey, I'm going to jump into this coaching thing. This just felt right. And I'm going to, I'm going to find my way here and what happens happens, you know. But obviously, I mean, you couldn't work with Bethany anymore. So what, what ended up like, what was the chain of events that happened those like yeah. the days after? I mean, are you like, okay, sweet. Um, I'm glad we can get started. But I mean, she was out for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. So I, um, it, it was interesting. So Lucy had actually reached out to me um, about six weeks prior during the French Open. I guess it was about a month prior during the French Open. She had recently split with her coach and I had spent some time with her in Charleston, just hitting with her. And obviously her and Bethany are super close. So she had reached out to me and asked me what my plan was for the summer. And I told her that I was going to be traveling with Bethany, but I said, Hey, why don't we all talk? And I could kind of be both of your hitting partners for the summer. And um, you know, we can all make it, we can make it work. You know, obviously you guys are all, both going to be in the same place at the same time. So that was kind of the agreement going into the summer was I was going to help both of them. So I knew, I mean, obviously, I don't know if you were there or not, Irina, but I, but Lucy was totally, you know, broken, you know, devastated at the time. They were looking to hold all four majors at one time during that tournament. Um, so Lucy was really torn up after that. So I said, okay, you know, obviously I want to respect her space. I'm going to give her some time, but, but once I, you know, I was going to get, let a week go by and then maybe reach out to Lucy and say, Hey, you know, would you want to bring me on? And uh, again, super lucky two days later, before I had reached out to her, she reached out to me and said, Hey, what's your plan now? And do you still want to travel with me over summer? And, um, and that worked out. And so that's kind of how I, uh, so then I spent the summer with her and we did that whole kind of summer swing up to the U S open together. And that was a great experience too. And, uh, learned a ton, learned a ton from that. So got the opportunity to, to travel with her as well that summer. And then the rest is kind of history. <laughs> wow. It's incredible how quickly these things go. Like once you kind of get your foot in the door and coaching, it feels like things kind of click in place so fast. And I've noticed how coaches move from player to player to player a lot, especially in the women's tour. But it always feels like coaches find another job as well. It's like a double-edged sword, so to speak. And with your experiences, I mean, have you noticed that it's challenging to maintain a job for a long time because you've kind of switched? Obviously, injury is a different reason. But you, do you feel that like lack of actual job certainty, but then so much opportunity. Yeah, I, I think um, that's an interesting question. I remember something that Bethany and Justin told me when I was traveling with them was that like, it's kind of like once you're in, you're in. And while there is a lot of turnover, since there's a lot of turnover, like you said, there's a lot of opportunity. Um, I've been, I've, I've, again, I feel really fortunate. I mean, I, I don't like jumping around from player to player. I really feel like the, the deeper that that relationship grows i only i think the communication gets better between player and coach the connection gets better and i think my coaching gets more effective and i and you just get into a better rhythm with the player so i really try to preserve the longevity as best as i can um lucy and i you know traveled for the summer together and then she ended up getting back together with her old coach that she had traveled with for a number of years so we kind of mutually decided to, to split after that which was fine um but then after that um you know, I started working, I, I started working back at the club that I grew up at. I got an opportunity there, which was really cool and worked for the coach that 
um, started me when I was three and four years old. So that was really neat that that came full circle. And his son was one of my best students. And um, that was a really cool experience. And, uh, and then Danielle Lau had reached out to me during that time as well. Um, but, uh, but her and I have worked together for now a couple of years, still in my position. I'm fortunate that I get to still work with her, which, which I really appreciate. And, uh, but yeah, her and I had, had stability, you know, in our relationship and that we looked at that as a long-term thing. And, uh, you know, I'm certainly not looking to jump, to jump around from time to time. I don't think that's ideal. I think, you know, obviously a lot of it, like you're saying, is out of your, out of, out of our control and, you know, you have to make the best of whatever situation, but I really think the more longevity you can build with a player, the better and the more effective that relationship becomes. Especially now at the USJ, right? They tell you who to work with. You're stuck with Irina. <laughs> I'm stuck with Irina. Yeah, I wish they had given me, you know, so no, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, no, the, this has been a totally different experience and, uh, and, and a very cool one at that. It's been everything that I imagined and more. Um, but it's definitely different. Um, you know, I, I work with most players in like kind of a more supplemental role as opposed to being kind of a lead coach and being with them full time. So that's a, that's something that I've definitely had to adjust to. I like that I get to spend a little bit more time with Irina and develop that relationship, which has been great. But, um, yeah, fortunately I haven't had to jump around a whole lot since I've been there, which, which is good, but, uh, I'll, I'll make the most of, of whatever you know, whatever opportunity that I, that I have. And I do think it's cool that I get to reach uh, more players now, which is, which is definitely a, a positive. So yeah, yeah, make it work. Would you say like you have a preference? <laughs> would you rather have someone that's just like your number one priority full time? Or would you like, do you like having that supplemental role? Uh, to be, to be honest. Yeah. I, 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 I like that one-on-one -on -one connection. I mean, that's, to me, that's what coaching is all about is the, the the trust and the relationship you build between player and coach and and uh really you know when i'm when i'm one-on-one -on -one with someone there's just a feel there there's a rhythm there and you you know where each other you know is mentally and emotionally and i think that's a really really important thing um this was definitely an adjustment and took some time and i've grown to love the 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 aspects of this job um, it is cool that I get to impact so many different players. I feel like now, you know, at this point, I've got a relationship with basically every player inside the top 300, which has been pretty cool. Um, that's, that's, an, that was, that's been an amazing opportunity. And, and, you know, we're talking about the best in the world at what they do. So these are some incredible individuals that, uh, that selfishly I get to learn from uh, and, and take from them on a daily basis. So um, that's, that's certainly been very, very cool. And getting to learn from them as well as the private coaches that I get to collaborate with um, has just been an incredible learning experience. So the, the job has been awesome. And, and I do love the aspects of it that uh, the kind of the supplemental help brings. But I do think... Um, you know, kind of the purity of coaching comes from that deep relationship with a player where I think uh, I feel like I'm at my best and I think I can be most effective. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey guys, Irina here. Today we have special guest, USDA coach Andy Gers, talking a little bit about what it's like to be on the other side of the court coaching me. Keep listening.
know it's kind of a tricky time right now because we are in the middle of a shutdown, but do you have long-term goals and vision for your career? Because we are used to talking with coaches that are a little bit older than you and uh, with players. So I never really see what it's like for a young player who's only 32 and how you kind of imagine your career going. Like Grand Slam champions, you know, number ones, USTA director, like what president? I don't know. Like what, <laughs> like what, what do you think about one? I know it's hard right now, but what do you think about it? Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, that's also a great question. I, 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 for right now, I think my, my short-term goal um, is really to just, continue to grow and learn and develop my coaching philosophy. That's something that uh, Hugh Breen, the Cal Poly coach, told me very early on was uh, start writing down who you, you know, your philosophy, who you are as a coach and what makes you you. And, uh, and so at the time, that was pretty meaningless to me. I thought it was a waste of time for an exercise and uh, I had no idea what I would write down but in the years since I've realized the importance of that and now I really feel like I'm settling into uh, who I want to be as a coach and what that means and what and, and, and the things that are important to me and uh, and so that's been really cool to develop that and I'm learning so much in this position in developing that um, so I think in the short term that's my goal um, long term I'd love to be in a position where I can just implement that philosophy and and help players grow and develop as, as tennis players and as people. Um, I've learned through my life that uh, every twist and turn has been completely unexpected and out of the blue. So for me to try to plan ahead, I, I'm a planner and I love to plan ahead. And my fiance uh, gets, uh, gets frustrated with me as I ask her all these future questions because she's very much more in the present and uh, she, she's much better at that than I am. Um, but also, you know, just to just to be realistic, yeah. I mean, every every job that I've taken has been totally out of the blue. And if you would have told me three months prior that that's where I would be, I would have thought you were crazy. So, um, and I and I also what's been interesting is when I first started out, I thought I wanted to be a college coach. That was where I felt like I belonged. I love the team aspect. I love that age. I love the you know just the camaraderie and everything. But I've been fortunate to be in a number of different positions at a tennis club, you know, at a club working with juniors. I've been in college and now I've been on the tour. And, uh, and I can say that I've just thoroughly enjoyed each and every step. And so I'm uh, just kind of open to whatever. Op- I mean, this is a great opportunity that I'm in now. So I'm not looking to move on at all at this point. But uh, whatever kind of comes up, I'm, I'm kind of game for the for the challenge and we'll you're ready happens. you're ready to go <laughs> I'm ready. yeah speaking of your career so we, we talked a little bit about the fact that you're working on your coaching philosophy and um i'm very fortunate to experience you know part of this philosophy and almost be like a guinea pig for this philosophy but i'm just curious i mean for someone that's whether then whether or not they want to you know get into coaching or they're wanting to kind of self-coach themselves what are like a few of the things that you would say that are part of your coaching philosophy that are kind of very, very, like it has to happen for you? Um, good question, Irina. I, I think what's, um, <laughs> I think to, to kind of come back to that in talking about self-coaching or people that want to get into coaching, I, I do think coming up with, um, coming up with your philosophy is extremely important. Now, like I said, when you first jump into that, that feels, that sounds pretty meaningless or sounds pretty abstract. Um, but one of the things that I've loved, and we did this exercise together, um, the, and this comes from um, 
Pete Carroll and uh, a conversation that he had with Steve Kerr that I just recently listened to, um, but I've studied Pete Carroll for years, is uh, he talks about your uncompromising principles, right? And those sit at the core of your coaching philosophy. And, uh, and the exercise is basically to just brainstorm first, you know, get down 10, 20, 30 things, whatever comes to mind, the, the principles, the values that are most important to you. And then you look at those and you narrow them down to, you know, a handful of them, four of them, and, uh, and build out from there. And that way, you know, the way Pete Carroll explained this to Steve Kerr when, when he was teaching Steve Kerr this was he says, you know, you're going to be faced with tough times and adversity and uh, emotional responses, you know, in stressful situations. And, uh, and when you're deeply rooted in the principles and the values that are most important to you, then navigating those rough waters uh, are, are a little bit easier. And so I would really encourage, and, and so in that, what we did and what I, again, you were my guinea pig and, and I, I wonder, I'd be curious what you thought of it actually. I'd throw it back to you is, you know, I wanted you to think about what your uncompromising principles are as a player and as a competitor. And, uh, and that way when times get tough or, you know, even right now where we're, it's, it's weird, it's weird right now, but when you can kind of come back to you, but did you feel like as a player, that was a helpful exercise? Or do you feel like that's more of like a coaching philosophy thing? I think that's honestly helpful for anyone, whether or not you're in coaching, whether you're a player. I mean, I feel like every human being needs to kind of take a second to realize what they're really about, what matters to them. Cause I think that's what that's one of the best things you can do like to communicate, whether it's a partner or your parents, your, you know, your spouse, they need to know that. And if you have that communication, I think it's just easier for the relationship because then there's never a question. There's never a doubt about it because I know for a fact that a few of your uncompromising, um, you know, principles, and I know that I can hold you accountable to them because it's like, Hey, you told me this. Yeah, I'm not, I want you to. Right. Yeah. So I think yes. that once you have that, you know, no matter, like I said, whether you're a player, whether you, you just, no matter what, I feel like those are a few things that you just have to kind of look deep inside and figure out, hey, what am I about? What matters to me? What is important? And so, yes, I think it's a great exercise. No matter, no matter the person, no matter what you do in life, I think it's, it's good for everyone. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it just helps you stay, stay rooted and grounded. And and then I think from there, you know, as a coach, you, you build out and, you know, the X's and O's or the, you know, the tactics, the strategies, the technique, I mean, that's all important. Um, but I think the principles are most important because that's, that's, that's who you are and that's what you're going to be. And so I think that's what I would inc really encourage people to do is it's easy. Coaching in my mind is, is both a science and an art, right? The science is all the incredible knowledge that we can gather, all the data analytics, uh, breaking down technique and breaking down tactics and strategy and, you know, learning about the physical and all that stuff. Um, that's the science. The art is the is the feel it's the communication it's the relationships um it's it's how you respond to situations your tone your you know it's not what you say it's how you say it um and and i think we can all it's easy to get caught up in the science because there's so much out there but i would really encourage people to to remember what you know the values that are most important to them and build out from there because that's truly what i think makes a coach and what makes each coach unique you guys are great together <laughs> <laughs> funny you should we say that funny you should say that you know I've actually joked with Andy I was um 
Well, I want to get into the story of how you got the USDA job. Uh, but I've actually told Andy several times that we're going to work together, not as player and coach, but as peer and peers, coach and coach. So Absolutely. speaking of that, though, how did you get the USTA job? I was telling Nina a little bit about it, but I, wanted, I want her to hear it from you. Yeah, um, I'll give you the long story since you guys keep telling me we've got time. So, And Nina can edit it out if she doesn't want it. But, uh, no, so I was, yeah, I was, working at, um, I was working at the Jack Kramer Club back here in Los Angeles. I was traveling with Danielle Lau. Um, wasn't by any means uh, looking for another position. I was, I was happy and loved what I was doing, loved the, loved the players I was working with. Um, and I get a phone call from Kathy Rinaldi right around Indian Wells time last year and um and she says hey and or actually i'll back up i had my podcast everything about tennis that i was also doing and uh shameless plug and i had kathy on the podcast uh, i had interviewed her during the australian open and we did the interview and everything and she had kind of told me ahead of time she goes you know I, I never do this i don't like to do this and so i was super flattered that she did and we had a great talk and afterwards, she she looks at me and she 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 gave me the Irina. She goes, "We're gonna we're gonna work together someday." And I'm like, "Okay." She's like, "I got my eye on you." And at the time, I was like, "What are you talking about?" You know, I don't know. I like I had gotten to know her just from working with Bethany and working from Danielle. But and and we had a great connection. And I love what she's about. I think we really connected. Uh, you know, from from a philosophical standpoint. Um, but you know, didn't think anything would come of it. But sure enough, I get a phone call around Indian Wells time. And she says, you know, Andy, I got promoted into the head of women's tennis. And I need someone to fill my old role. And I want it to be you. That's, you know, I was like, well, okay. Uh, I'm flattered. I'm, I'm interested, you know, explain more. And she says, yeah, you know, you're going to be based out of Orlando. And she's kind of explaining the job to me. And I'm on my way down to go teach some lessons. And, um, and I said, wow, Kathy, like, I'm super flattered. I'm honored. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm going to have to respectfully decline. I mean, I'm, I'm out here in L.A. and I, you know, no intention of really moving. Let me know if something opens up out here in Carson. I'd be happy, you know. And she's kind of, oh, okay, you know, we'll, we'll talk soon. And so I'm teaching lessons that day. And I'm like, in my head, I'm going like, what is this opportunity that I just threw out the window? So I call my, one of my best friends and I'm telling him about it. And he's going, you're a complete idiot. And then I come back home for dinner and, you know, I was I'm having dinner with Hannah and she, uh, my fiance, and she's, you know, I told her about the phone call. And so I'm explaining it to her. And so she goes, well, what did you say? And I'm like, well, I turned it down. I, you know, I, I, I had no intention of moving and kind of helping her get through law school. And she's like, call her back. Like, this is, this is way too good to pass up. Are you kidding? Like, you need to go do this. And I was like, was it really? I was like, I, I did you know, I was like, I have been thinking about it and it's a great opportunity. She's like, absolutely. She's like, you need to go do this. So I give a lot of the credit to her. She really supported me with it. And so I was fortunate enough. I called up Kathy the next morning and she goes, Oh, I'm so glad you called back. And we had, <laughs> so we, uh, so yeah, so we talked more and, and agreed to do it and then started right around this time last year. It's been almost exactly a year since I started. So uh, yeah, it was like the first week of the French open. That's where we'd be right now. So um, yeah, so I, yeah, again, totally lucky. Wasn't looking for it, but uh, just really fortunate that Kathy thought that I'd be a good fit for the job and, and kind of ran with it. Well, thank you so much, Andy, today for giving us so much insight on your life and, uh, you know, <laughs> talking a little bit about what it is to coach me. I'm sorry. 
and um yeah just you know keep staying safe during this time and uh hopefully we will be back on the court soon you guys have so many great guests and you guys do an awesome job so it's a pleasure it's a privilege to be on here and thanks for having me. from the tennis channel podcast network this has been the tennis.com podcast be sure to subscribe to stay caught up we're available on apple podcasts Spotify, and every major listening app, as well as tennis.com slash podcasts. You can also see the videos of our episodes on Tennis Channel's YouTube page and tennis.com's Facebook page. We're your hosts, Nina Pantic and Irina Falcone. We'd like to thank our team, editor and audio designer and video editor, Christina Koseva, producers, Alexa March and Sean O'Malley, and executive producers, Shelby Coleman, Kyle Einhorn, and Andy Chu.